all right, people. So now, so I'm assuming that you, you say you, you've got like you went you used the bathroom, you got got something to eat. It's like and now you're here for the second half of the uh, like of the of my uh, top top twenty, which exactly. you know I was like, yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, as I realized, um, between um, the recording of these two parts, is that <laughs> I I realized that I can't count. This first half was only um, twenty through twelve. And so um, this next half is going to be um, 11 through 1, as, as stated on the site right there. So, but what does that mean? That best means that, you know, I made a big deal about omitting um, Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing from the, from the list. Well, guess what, people? It's back on the list at number 11. Because, like, not only is this, like, regarded as one of the most transformative um, runs on a, on a comic book in, hi- in history, in the sense that Alan Moore, like, took a character, like, who would just, you know, just just basically being like a, like a swamp monster and just like completely redefined his origin without um, disregarding anything of the past and took him to a whole new new level of existence and basically invented um, mature readers comics or mature readers superhero comics as well because basically everything he does here it's a foundation for just about a lot of the stuff you're going to be, he- be hearing about later on it's like like on my list specifically all the stuff that, that's, um, that DC Vertigo has put out over the years but you know it's like Aside from it's like its place in history, it's like and it's um like I said it's transformative effect on comics. Um, it gets a spot on my list. You know, it would get a spot on my list solely because of the fact that these are some of the scariest comics I have ever read. Some of this like just the creepiest like skin crawling um bits like literally when um when when Abby when Abby Arcane has to like scratch her skin off because she's realized she's been sleeping with um her her husband who has been possessed by the soul of her evil dad and Anton Arcane creepy shit like that yeah. but yes and it's like and like because like a lot of comics like you know even a lot of horror comics just generally don't scare me like a lot of Hellblazer you know even though it's purportedly a hair horror comic just doesn't like doesn't get under my skin in any meaningful way in any meaningful way swamp Alan Moore swamp thing does and like that's if and um you know even if um he if it wasn't for like um, Moore's like insightful um like revision revision of something character his um his really clever takes on integrating it into the DC universe um such as his um like like swamp things uh, take like um like um his takeover of Goth- Gotham City and Batman's um ra- rationalized approach to um getting the getting the guy out of there, I mean bits like that are are great, but you know it's it's the scariness, it's really the, the scariness of it, the creepiness, just like the the gets under your skin bit that really does it for me. And um and also there's also there's also one bit in here that um I that has been um like um lifted um. A lot by uh, by by um, Garth Ennis in particular. That's the um the bit how they um bitten when Swamp Thing goes to Gotham City and they and all the people who, who sympathize with Swamp Thing are called the Swampies. And at one point, a uh, TV announcer says, "Who are these Swampies and what shadowy shadowy compulsions motivate them?" Ennis has um lifted that bit for uh for two series, um for two series he's done and um Preacher and um. It's like and his first and his initial run on Punisher, but um really, um this it's his um it's his second run on Punisher, which um brings us to my number ten. See my t- number ten on the list is his run on Punisher Max. Now much as I love um his Marvel Knights version of Punisher, which creates which um gives gave us the great um Welcome Back Frank, and turned turned Punisher into a great comedic romp throughout the com- the Marvel universe. Um Punisher Max, um basically is a is a 
dark, um, pitiless, t- pitiless crime comic that stands as the best thing I've read from Marvel. Period. And it's and basically it, it takes it basically takes some like the Punisher like you know just out of the realm of superheroes and I'm into like I'm like almost pure like pure crime comics right here. I mean, a lot of it means like it's a lot of this stuff is. I mean, yes, um, Frank is, Frank Castle in this series is kind of like a um like a ultra prepared, ultra competent um killing machine, and you know he's not gonna die because he's the main character. But but Emma still um uses that uses that framework to um, tell lots of lots of interesting stories like um from the uh, from his take on the troubles in, in Ireland and K- Kitchen Irish to to the uh like to um to um to his modern day slavery and the slavers even like um dark black comedy and and um and the uh and the characters um take take on um modern day on like on modern day energy companies like like Enron in um Barracuda it's like and also his um and also like um things about the character himself, such as what happens what happens when the Punisher like actually finds out he does have a kid and what it's like and what choices he does do you have to live with in um it's like in long cold dark. It's all the all of these series like are and even and even then it's like you've got you've got um, things like um, Man of Stone, which are which is a which is a great epic action story where where Ennis takes a lot of the characters he's created for the like for this run, and brings their their fates to their to their ultimate conclusion. It's it's great, compelling stuff, and and easily one of the one of the, like the runs like that I that I basically loan out like whenever I whenever I get a friend whenever I hook a friend of mine into reading comics. Yeah. So, but um also, but it's, it still isn't quite the greatest superhero comic ever read. I mean, sorry, ever written. And that that undergoes to um, my number nine choice, and. Uh, and that would be um, the Dark Knight Returns by by Frank Miller, and um, of course Lynn Var- um, Klaus Jensen and Lynn, Lynn Varley. But because um, the thing is, that even though um, Miller's um, reputation has really soured over the years with with his disappointing return to well, well, okay, well, the Dark Knight Dark Knight Strikes Again wasn't necessarily I'd say a bad a terrible comic. It, however, was a terrible sequel, and I haven't read um, All Star Batman and Robin, which you know I can't really. So I'm willing to shell out money for something that I've heard is like you know intentionally terrible, and as I said before, Holy Terror was just really like a disappointing, disappointing misfire. But on the Dark Knight Returns, you know, even um like you know twenty twenty years, like tw- no, almost twenty five years from its pr- initial publication, it still stands as a towering work, and I'm um, easy, easy one of the definitive takes on Batman because years later, even after um like all like um like say runs by um Greg Rucka, Ed Brubaker, and Grant Morrison's um like um p- game like paradigm changing run. It's like you still look at um The Dark Knight Returns and it still strikes you as, you know, this is how Batman is going to end up. Like eventually he's going to stop, but then he's going to realize he can't. He's got to come back and fix things, but he's but he's but his um but his obsessions, his drive, it's going to be like, it's ultimately going going to be his un, his undoing in the end. It's like it's like, it's a great great tale of a super, of a superhero um, whose compul- whose compulsion gets gets the best of him and drives. It's like and um, and ultimately, and ultimately doom, dooms him in the in the end. But um, it's but the thing is like for me though it's like well um well Watchmen its spiritual counterpart is basically the Citizen Kane of comics. It's like the story that has been 
that this is a great shorthand for the greatest comic ever written, even though it's like it's and it still remains a compelling story, even though a lot of its innovations have been eaten up by um, eaten up and done better by subsequent comics over the years. Um, the Dark Knight Returns is Cox's God um, Godfather. The, um, the film where you've seen it, where you've heard so much about it, so much how so much about how good it is, and then when you finally watch it, you realize, yeah, it really is as good as its hype. So it's a fantastic story. You know, it's like, as far as um, we're talking about, like, you know, great definitive 80s works by um, comics creators, um, next, my next pick, um, number eight, this goes to Alan Moore's V for Vendetta. Hands down, his best work. And um, even though it's like the movie, it's like the, the movie was, um, you know, pretty much kind of crap. And um, especially for the fact that it um, invented a romance between the two main characters, um, a more story of um, of a fascist society um, who is pit- pitted against uh, an immense, immensely competitive and imaginative a- anarchist to re- to restore who is ter- determined to restore um, human sorry hum- humanity's control to um, the control of humanity say to two of the people themselves. Um, it's it still remains. Um, like a like a great like a, and a compelling morale, morality tale, even especially in our in our present day, as the um, as these masses become a symbol for the for the Occupy movement, as well as the um, anonymous um, hack um, hacker collective. It's let's see, it's still it's still a compelling story of what happens of, of what happens when what happens when our when we let our fate be decided by um, by Big Brother, as well as um, like what what we can do. What can be done in order to um, get get our um, our ultimate fate back? Something you want to add? No. Okay. You know, Sorry. Cool. Okay. I just heard the, Pay no the attention back. to the man behind the curtain. Okay. All right. Now. Okay. Now that being said, um, number seven on my list is is probably um one of those cases where you. You look at everything else on my list, and it goes, you know, one of these things is not like the other. And that would definitely be the case for number seven, which is a box office poison by Alex Robinson. Now, the series gets its name because um, Robinson, Robinson's story is just like a story of like, you know, like a lot of, of, of um, several 20-somethings um, living in New York and um, just like struggling to get by. A real slice of, life, slice of life story. And just like the kind of like, you know, character-driven, like non um, story that doesn't involve explosion, explosions or actions or any kind of science fiction or fantasy that, you know, would be best described as, you know, box office poison. But at, as often is the case with some of these stories, with um, stories that are categorized as that, it's like they still wind up being um, immensely special. It's like, and, um, and they wind up speaking to a particular audience. And this, this is really, this actually still speaks to me because years later after buying this, Back then, it was at Comic Con years ago. I remember it was the last, the last comic I read when I was um, going through all my stuff that year. And it went up, be, and it holds a special place in my heart, if only for the fact that it was the best comic that I read. So it really was saving the best for last. But just the way um, Robinson um, gets um, described as a char- his characters, like Sherman, the uh, the guy, like the um, aspiring writer who's stuck in a dead end job, um, his his girlfriend Dorothy Dorothy Lestrade, who is um, bad news. Bad news from the very, very beginning. Um, it's like and Jane, the aspiring comics artist, who is um, who actually has a series one one good relationship with her husband Stephen Gaydale, who bears a striking resemblance to um the late to um to Peter Steele, the late great um lead 
lead singer guitar and bassist for Typo Negative. And um, it's like Anne Velasquez, who was um, basically kind of like the reader's, reader's point of view character for being like the big comic book nerd and aspiring comic book artist. It's, story, like I said, it's a story of their, their, their struggles, their relationships um, throughout the... Uh, like, like throughout throughout this particular this particular time in the mid, it's like in, like in um, late late to mid nineties, and it's also and it's also a good and a compelling story about um comic book comic book creators' rights as well as Ed winds up being as one of the main plot threads of the story. Basically involves Ed um meeting up with one of the um like key creators of the Golden Age, um in it's like like in this like in the world of box office poison and basically um help trying to find a way for him to get get recognition for the um for the uh, iconic superhero he created, the Night Stalker, I I I, I can read like even though it's like it's like it's purely character driven, character driven, and it's like miles away from a lot of the stuff I normally talk about on the site. It's just something that I can read read over and over again and still pick up on the on different nuances, um, different aspects of a uh, of the characterization, and just seeing how how each character's story, how their how their action, like how their personalities drive. Like drive them to make um, really bad decisions in completely logical ways. It's it's a it's a really um it's it's a fantastic story, and um and more than anything like more than anything else when they talk about like you know, alternative comics and um like stuff that's like really outside the mainstream. This like I said this kind of like justifies like why why it's like even if I don't talk about it, it's like I'll still keep buying buying that stuff. It's just to be honest, it's really hard to uh to write up that stuff because I feel like I deserve there's more intellectual approach that I'm willing to it's like that I'm willing to employ when I'm not just you know talking like talking like this but you know I think I'm really embarrassing myself at this point so we're moving on to another series that has actually um, only gained in um, relevance over the last couple of years and that would be um, Eagle the making of an Asian American president by um, by Kaiji Kawaguchi now it's it's a story like it's a story of um, Kenneth Yamaoka the um, like an a- a second generation Asian, Asian American who is basically um, being the, who's the um, tries to become the Democratic um, nomination nominee for president in the 2000 election. Now, really, it's like this is like I said at the time this was written. This is still kind of like a uh, like a feasible idea, but essentially it pits and it pits him against um, like imaginary versions of um, Al, of Al Gore and Bill like Bill Clinton and even um, Buzz Aldrin for the. Uh, um, no, it's not well, it was Aldrin. Um, no, John Glenn for the uh, Democratic nomination. Um, it's like I said, it's it's a it's a fa- it's a it's a fascinating take on um, American politics viewed from an American outsider, and you and even it does have here some certain tropes for 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 for, um, Jap- for, um, for manga. It's still still an absolutely com- compelling read, and it's still a lot of the stuff still rings true. It's like um, all. Like years on from today, I mean to be honest, like reading this, like reading this back in the, during the 2008 elections, it becomes even more relevant when you've got the um, picture of the like of the ethnic Democratic upstart taking on the established um, old school uh, Republican war veteran. Like I said, you can you can um, almost like um, perfectly graft Obama versus um, McCain on onto the story, and it and it still wouldn't lose a step, but it's still. But still, like also, but it's also a compelling story of like a, of a son, um, like um, getting to know his, getting to know his fa- father as um, as um, Yamaoka brings his um his illegitimate son Takashi on to cover his campaign, and then there's also all sorts of like um political back backdoor double dealing and and drama. Like it's great, 
like it's it's all compelling compelling stuff, and it's also what is probably what I think is ultimately probably the best cliffhanger I've read in modern comics because it takes such an such an unlikely source like um, Yamaoka being um, perceived as a flip flopper, and then um, like it makes you wait a whole from um, volume two to volume three to figure out how is he going to um, prove prove that he's not a flip flopper. So that's that's great stuff, and. And it also benefits immensely from from Car- from, from Carl Gustav Horn, the greatest and best um, localizer. It's like working in the industry today. This is this is this is a, this is one of his works before he left Viz for Dark Horse, and um he and he makes the, Eng- the English adaptations sing perfectly. Yeah. However, speaking of English adaptations, there's also another series that um has also taken um there's also uh, had that um was also given special care when it was adapted into English. And it is also the other ongoing series that on my list. And if you, like I said, Sagi Jimbo was one. And like I said, if you can't guess that number five for me was Blade of the Immortal, then hey, this hey, you need to guess harder. You need, you need to like listen to me more, I guess, or something like that. But you know, like I said, you, you anyone who's read this knows know that this series is going to be on here because you know. Even though it's still ongoing, even though the ending is yet to be written in stone, at this point, creator Hiroki Summer would have to actually, actively work to um just to um dis- to destroy what he has written so far, uh, and to uh, and in, in order to get this get this off my list, I certainly hope he won't do that. But everything I've been reading from him so far, as the series enters its effective fourth act, shows that he he's got a plan and he's a tearing and he's and he's following it, following it up to the, to the very end. But Blade of the Immortal, like I said, it's the short version of the story of a of a girl Rin trying to avenge her her her, um, her family's her family's death at the hands of the Maverick Samurai faction and the immortal samurai she teams up with in order to achieve it. But then, um, Samurai introduces all these um, different all these moral complications um, into her quest, such as. It's just like what happens when, when um she realizes that she's that um, her her um like her battle approach is like dishon is um completely out of line with what her father taught. What happens like what what happens when she tries to you know elicit an apology from her, like from one of her tormentors from, from from one of her family's killers instead of just you know killing killing him outright. It's it's a, it's a series filled with like. Um, fascinating, complex characters, and some of the um, hands down, some of the best um, fight scenes I've ever, like I've ever seen in comics. Period. Like, and even, and also, even when the series is kind of like you know, not so hot. Like when the in the uh, prison arc, which um, stretches from volumes, uh, let's see, uh, fifteen through, let's see, fifteen through twenty one, um, it's still better than a lot of other creators' um, um, best efforts. And to be honest, and that said, I, I am still, um, I, I am still like all, all about waiting for um, when the next volume is because like, even like I said, as good as this series is, as good as like you know, twentieth century boys is, I'm always waiting for when's the next volume of Blade of the Immortal? When's the next volume of Blade of the Immortal? Like I said, I wait, for, I anticipate this series more than anything else, and so should you. And that said, moving on, like I said, this next, this these next three series are basically um. It's kind of like a lot. It's kind of like a little foundation of why I, why I like Vertigo and why, 
a lot of times, like I feel that like a, that a character, like an artist, like a creator, really does have to have like a like a lot of the, my favorite creators have like um, great Vertigo series, um, like to their name, like and that, that's what causes me to go out and buy more of their stuff. You know, creators like you know Brian, like Brian K. Vaughn, um, Neil Gaiman, Warren Ellis, and my choice number four, Garth Ennis with Preacher. Preacher is a story of Jesse Custer, a former. Um, like Texas preacher, his gun-toting girlfriend Tulip, and an Irish vampire Cassidy, um, who who go on a go on a road trip looking for God. And no, I'm not talking in the figurative sense. They are, it's like they are looking for God. Period. Because he has abandoned his his roost in he- his his place in heaven and is now wandering wandering the earth in order to. It's going to regain the love of the um, half half angelic, half demonic creature that inhabits um, just his body and gives him the power called the Word of God, which allows him to um, create, allows him to um, like like people to obey every word he says. But you know, it's not, it, even though there's like so there's some interesting philosophical like questions about you know like about like God, God's role and the role of role of faith in the modern era. That's that's largely bunk since and. And it's is um very um, it's like is as as you read more of his stuff, you realize he's not, he's very um he's anti organized organized religion and probably um and definitely very much an atheist. But um a lot of the stuff, but um a lot of the stuff he does right here, it's like with with the, with the, um with preacher, it's like it's still gripping, compelling story storytelling, such as um Jesse's um when Jesse comes face to face with his um God fearing um family and how they and um how how they want to um, bring him bring him back in the fold um through through any means pos- possible and all in the family, like Sassy in vol- volume two. Or the um the the, uh, the efforts of the of the Grail, the uh, secret society that's been protecting um the bloodline of Christ for all these years. And um they and um, their leader, the All Father, wants wants Jesse for reasons unknown. And of course, there's and Hair Star, the um the, a- the agent of the Grail, who um who's basically one of the most um like um pathetically lovable um bastards of in all of comics. Because even though he's a he is truly he is truly an asshole, and he gets more and he suffers more shit um done to him than just about any villain I I've seen. He still remains. Like a like a fascinating like study as his as his drive to um like you know like give the world the leader it deserves eventually mo- uh, morphs into just oh, bitterness bitterness and hate bitterness and hate and nihil- nihilism at the vi- like at, at the very end but it's also got like some, like lots of like immense like said, immense immensely funny bits such as um this is arse face the guy with an arse for a face after he, after a failed suicide attempt. And uh, it's like and also things like just just becoming um becoming shepherds. There's a lot of like compelling, compelling, fascinating story stories here that you know that like it's like I said it's one it's that like that really do stand the test of time and like just like really um it, I emphasize a character a creator working at the top of his game here because I go because really Ennis has never been better when he's working with his buddy Steve Dillon and this. Is a series that proves it, Cause, and also, and also, one of the reasons why I think Steve Dillon is one of the greatest artists when it comes to um, displaying character emotion. I mean, it's his his work here is so so great, so visceral. Even though it's not doesn't have the greatest detail, even though he's not great at drawing fantasy, the emotion he invests in his characters, 
um, we'll, we'll, we'll draw you in no matter what. Speaking of creators working at the top of their game, that also um, falls... That also rings true of um, Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson's Transmetropolitan. And I'll be honest, I don't be honest with you. This, the main reason this gets the nod over, um, well, not just there are two reasons this gets the nod over the preacher. One, because ultimately I am a science fiction, I'm a science fiction nerd more than I am just you know anything else. But also because Transmetropolitan really captures the, the essence of what the future is going to be like. And you've got like like crazy things like people, the people becoming nano nano machine colonies. Um, like um like seven hundred fifty cha like um, billions of channels um showing all all sorts of TV um like religions springing up like new religions being invented by the minute um techno new technology such as um like um bi- like um bacterial um ga- bacterial tracks to replace your stomach I mean like, it's you look at it but even then it's like a lot of the stuff isn't treated with like with awe or reverence it's basically you know you know this is basically this is basically the future. I mean, like, there's new, crazy new stuff being invented all the time, and that's, you know, that's the way it is. And at the core of it is, um, is Spider Jerusalem, Gonzo journalist, brought back down from the mountain that he's that he re- that he retreated to in order to pay off his his published publishing debt. And um, and even though it's like I've read some reviews where this that talk about how his efforts to bring down the pres the newly elected president of the United States does kind of like is a bit heavy hand does bring a bit heavy handed and and obvious, living through the Bush years and seeing um, like Spider's efforts to take down the president and what the president's been doing as far as eviscerating the Constitution, living through the Bush years makes just makes me realize that that, that Transmetropolitan was more was more prescient and of the time like than anything else anything else I was reading. If, um, like I said Ellis has written lots of great comics over the years, but and like some bad and boring ones as well. But you know if you want to know why. I, I describe myself as an Ellis completist. Transmetropolitan is is the reason above all others, but it's still not um, DC Vertigo's crowning jewel. And now that I've said that, you will probably guess what my number two series is. That is, um, the Sandman by by Neil Gaiman and a host of immensely talented artists. But Gaiman's um, story of the Sandman is a story of um, dream of the of the endless seven beings who comprise the, um, the essential points of view of like of human nature. And, um, tells the story of how dream escapes from captivity at human hands and then goes, tries to resume his, his duties among the w- waking world. And, um, it basically leads, leads into, um, you know, conventional things like, you know, facing off with the supervillain for control of his, of his gem, um, rounding up the, uh, like the escape, Entities from his from from the dream realm, fishing off with um Lucifer, that, you know the Lucifer, um like for like like over the fate like for for one of his artifacts of power, and then having Lucifer repay the favor by giving him the key to hell after he abdicates it. Um, but the series is really it's it's a series series about stories and just the and just the simple awe awe that they invoke. I mean it's. Like um even like like, like Gaiman's um stories like I said they even though they have the, the ring of art to them that they're like they're say they're they stand like above even though they they see it would seem that they stand above like you know standard like um like um like like genre genre tropes he still like he they ultimately do embrace like embrace them such as what happens when um Dream is faced with um you know all the different um people who are trying to figure out what's like who who deserves the key to hell and then his ultimate clever resolution which is in volume 
on volume four, Season of Mists, probably one of my favorite volumes. And um, it's like it's like and just seeing the the different stories that that the the Gaiman spins, like whether they're um, ones based in reality, such as the story of the one the Emperor of the United States, or I'm um, talking about um, like Augustus like Augustus Caesar, who um, like who's trying to figure out how to um, how to plot the course of his of his empire empire after like um, upon, upon his death. Or the story of um, one man who wanders into the dream of the city, and then um, Liz starts living apart from them after realizes what happens when the cities wake and rise. They're great. They're great stories, and it's also um, fascinating to realize that that that, that Gaiman really had um, dreams, um, ultimate fate planned out from the very beginning. Because you can, because you can see what happens his what happens to him like as the series goes on. But then you realize that you know, yeah, it's like you know, it's one that's sad that what was. You can feel, you can be sad about what was done to him in the end, but then you look back and you realize that he ultimately did it to himself intentionally because that's that's what he wanted. And the series is about it's about you know cha- like changing or dying, and that's and the and the stories that 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 it, that it provokes as a result. It was also succeeded by a uh, by a spinoff series, um, Lucifer, um, I'm written by Mike Carey, which. Which is really one of the series, which is a series that best that best defines, um, like um from like from being from the realm of um better than it has any right to be because while um the, the new Watchmen series, you know just aren't going to um smell right by any any mile just because like um more has nothing to do with them at all, and um there's really no one who can do who can possibly do um like a Watchmen prequel or sequel justice, um aside aside from him, Gaiman um gave gave his blessing to to Lucifer and um and reading this like and I, I wouldn't have read the series otherwise and seeing the end result of that I'm glad he did but still it's not the greatest series of all time that I've read and that on that honor goes to a mon- to a manga it also goes to a manga written by a man who really had who after reading this like I realize has more it's a it's a crime to have as much talent as this man has because not only is Hayao Miyazaki one of the greatest, uh, is is the greatest living um, animation director of animation of our time, he's also written the greatest comic book I have ever written in the form of Nausicaa: The Valley of Wind. Now don't get me wrong, the movie itself is a classic and the first first film of his that I saw that really got me onto his style. Then you read his like his manga. And there's so much more to it. It basically this basically hits all the all the great sweet spots I like. It's science. It's bit. It's a lot science fiction. It's a little fantasy. It's a, it's post. It's got a story of the post apocalypse, and it's got like a host of memorable characters, like from Nausicaa herself, who is who isn't who who wants to try and who save the world, but also but also like wants. But um, has um, empathy, empathy for everyone as well as as well as a, as well as a great great rage and anger as well. It's like it's like in her heart as well. Her um her mentor um Yupa, who in any other story, this man, this brilliant sword, this greatest swordsman of the um of the periphery would have been the main character. But here, instead, he's just a supporting he's a supporting actor, um guiding people on to our, to their like to their fate, like to their ultimate fates. Or Kishana, the uh, like, like the daughter, the uh, daughter of the uh, the um, tormenting princess who is, uh, who commits um like vi- um very violent heinous acts like over the 
the course of the series, but also ultimately finds finds redemption in her place in the place in the world at the very end. As is her father, um, like the uh, the emperor who who Walker has a very interesting place in the way that he that he that he is out for power, but in the end winds up being um winds up being the catalyst that helps sa- like save Nausicaa from the from the ultimate fate of the people who who want to um save and. Re- who want, to, who want to quote unquote save the world by restoring purity, purity without any any cons- consequence to what to what that word actually means? It's it's one of the most like like I said the reason like I am saying this list is basically like stuff that um like my my pick for the greatest series is, this is something that speaks to me and Naushka more than any other series I've read basically speaks to me as and like basically like get gets inside my head. Like gets inside my my heart and basically says this is this is one of the greatest series I've I've like I, I've ever this is the greatest series I've ever read and there's like so much so much character nuance so much fantastic art just looking at a Miyazaki series like art and detail it's like you hardly see this kind of this kind of detail in, in any um, American or Japanese Japanese comic I mean like from the from the art down to the story like it just feels that. Like it was like the man was just like he he knew exactly what he story he wanted to tell in his head and he had no problem getting it out of his head onto paper. Yeah, and like as as I um as anyone who was who's for the series I like will see. And also that being said though, you know now John, you see there's a reason I got that for you as a Christmas gift all those years ago. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but but you know that that brings us that brings us to the end, and you know, like I said, it's it's me talking about the stuff that I I love more than more than anything else, and like it's like it's the foundation for like what what I consider good comics. That being said, let me leave you with like a little bonus thing because well, I'm not going to talk about the the worst comic I've ever read because you know you know because like I I don't want to dwell too long on that. I mean, like some of the stuff that. That, that sticks with me, like, you know, Ghost in the Shell, Man-Machine Interface, or Gunsmith Cat's Burst. I mean, yeah, they're terrible, but they don't, like, like, entirely, like, the soul-crushingly, um, like, bad, like, um, bad stuff that just makes me wish I could, like, erase reading this from my mind. But let me tell you about, it. but, um, a series called, um, called Wounded Man by Kazuo Koike and, and Ryoichi Ikigami, which basically gets my vote as the best Worst comic I've ever read because it's basically uh, like a Japanese male machismo um, run completely amok, and um, like uh, it's utterly poisonous to anyone with two X, two X chromosomes, and um, also because like just about anyone who who reads it, male or female, it will put hair hair in your chest. It's it's this tale of like you know, like a ma- manly man fighting for revenge against God's pornographic X-rated um, like films. It's it is a um, spectacularly. Um, I can't say it's really quantifies as any as a good comic by any means, but it is fascinating, fascinatingly awful in its ways that show you just it shows it just like you know, what what Japanese men consider like their their ultimate goals in the world. The equivalent of a train wreck. Yes, it is a glorious train wreck, and like I said, it's kind of like I talked about how Future Diary like is kind of like entertaining in the same way, but no. Um, Wounded Man is truly, is truly like a glorious tra- train wreck. Just like I mean, train if it doesn't go off the rails and explode, there is a mushroom cloud left from it, from the wreckage yet. It leaves us. Yeah, and and as I guess I'm, as I'm leaving you on that note, like I said, that's that's my top. The 
like to these two podcasts are my top 20 comics of all time. And we will go ahead and resume normal service two weeks from now. What will I be talking about then? Eh, well, now I've got this off my chest. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, so all I can say is, everyone, you know, thanks for sticking with me this long. And hey, here's hoping for another another 100 podcasts from here on out. All right, you I'm got Jason, it. Yep, I'm Jason Glick. I'm your host. It's John Murphy, your co-host. Yep. Yep, so everyone, you have a good night. Take it easy. I'll see you in two weeks. See you later. Bye. Bye.